Welcome to Park City Church. You're listening to our weekly message, where we hope you'll be inspired and encouraged to know and follow Jesus and welcome and serve others. Thank you for tuning in. We'll be reading uh, Genesis 2, 4 through 25 if you want to follow along. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord made the earth and the heaven. Now no shrub of the field was yet on the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprouted. For the Lord had not yet sent rain upon the earth, and there was no man to cultivate the ground. But a mist used to rise from the earth and water the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living person. The Lord God planted a garden to the east in Eden, and there he placed the man whom he had formed. Out of the ground, the Lord caused every tree to grow that is pleasing to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and from there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first river is Pishon, and it flowed around the whole land of Havala, where, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good, and bellium and onyx stones are there as well. The name of the second river is Gihon, and it flows around the whole land of Cush. The name of the third river is Tigris. It flows east of Assyria, and the fourth river is the Euphrates. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and tend it. The Lord commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for on the day that you eat from it you will surely die. Then the Lord said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper, helper suitable for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every animal of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was his name. The man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the sky, and every animal of the field. But for Adam there was found no helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. And the Lord God fashioned into a, into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man, and brought her to the man. Then the man said, At last this bone is of my bones, and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother, and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, but they were not ashamed. Orlando this week. I took some heat from that from the worship team this morning, and they told me I should start my sermon with how beautiful it was and how balmy it was, and that explains, you know, the bronze and glow or whatever, I don't know. Uh, but it was lovely. And uh, I had forgotten. It had been a long time since I've been to Florida. I'm like, well, that's what a palm tree looks like. I couldn't believe it. It was... I'll stop talking about how amazing and uh, lovely it was. But I was with a group of pastors, and we were doing, like, pastory things, getting some training. It was a really great time. But while we were there, we rented a van. There's a group of, like, five of us. And, and uh, you know, as you do, you're in a new place, and you rent a van so you can get around town. And we had been in the van all day, kind of in and out. And uh, it was the last night. I've also taken f- some heat for how much ice cream I ate on this trip that apparently one of the guys in the group kept posting about, which is one more reason not to like social media. But uh, uh, yes, I ate a lot of ice cream, and it was delicious. 
But we were leaving. That was the last stop of the night. We had, you know, we'd been in a session. We had a session all day, a travel day, and, and uh, we were eating ice cream. And we walked out to get in the van. I went to the van. I opened the door. I started to sit down, and I realized none of the other guys were with me. And I look up, and they're at another van. Uh, they're at our van, right? <laughs> I, I was in some random person's van. And uh, thankfully, they weren't in there. It would have been real awkward, right, like r- really quickly. I took heat for that the rest of the week, right, you know, uh, the whole time. They just made relentless fun of me. I, I want to suggest to you that hearing the story of Genesis as we've heard it this morning and last week, it, uh, that, that uh, it's an invitation to kind of step into the, the right story, right, that uh, we live our lives sort of really just getting into all kinds of the wrong vans, Right? And, and we could go through any number of like, examples of what this might look like. I'll just, I'll just consider two that I think this particular section of this first story addresses. On the one hand, I think we tend to like, hop into the van that says, we're all good, right? We're all good. Like generally, I'm okay. I might have some bad moments, but on the whole, I'm all good. And uh, you know, badness is an exception or is either for exceptionally bad people, but when, you know, I'm generally good. And the story, as we've heard read for us this morning, and certainly where it goes next week, uh, says that's the wrong van. Like, you, it's, that's, that's the wrong van. That's not our van. The, the other side of it is to say, I think kind of the other extreme that often gets associated with the Christian faith, which is to say that the, this sort of like, I'm all bad. This kind of self-loathing that oftentimes can be associated with religious types or, you know, uh, experience, maybe your experience of the Christian faith. And, and uh, again, right, this story says, well, no, that, that's, that's not entirely true either, right? Like, it's, you're not all good and you're not just like all bad. There's more nuance to that particular story that to get into either of those is to get into the wrong vehicle. And just sort of blaze through life oblivious, awkwardly in someone else's space, right? Like, uh, it would be uncomfortable. Uh, To hear the story of Genesis 1 and 2, as we've heard them read the last couple of weeks, I want to suggest is is, is to kind of um, place our our hearts and lives in the right story. And what story is that this morning? What, 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 What is that? It's an invitation really into the same thing we heard last week as we read all of creation. Uh, We heard it last week on a sort of sweeping and cosmic scope. In the beginning, God created, right? And then the breakout of the days, man in his image and likeness, right? we, we, We saw it on a cosmic scope and scale. In our reading this morning, it's as if it kind of goes back into that uh, grand beginning and then zooms in zeroes in on on a moment in which humanity kind of moves to the center of the stage. And yet, even in this moment, we find that we're in the same story. The observation we made last week, that God is the subject. He is the the one in front of every verb that will follow. God is the one who created, and everything else flows from that. He is the subject, and, and, and that tells us something about him, uh, but also about us and where we are in this story of God's creation. And that same observation, at the risk of sort of like saying the same thing over and over again, can be made here. As you listened to Quentin Reed, you, 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 you heard uh, the writer tell us God forms and breathes and plants 
and puts and commands and says and builds and, and brings, right? He, he, he's, he's in front of all of the activity in this passage. Every other activity that flows, like man tending the garden, is subsequent to what God has done and does. It's full of images that will fill the rest of the pages of this story. Generation after generation, God is a gardener, God breathing life, his hands in the dirt, crafting and forming. These are images that will shape, that will shape so many of the subsequent stories. Even John 3.16, right, the bit of the story that, you know, culturally we know and is familiar. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son kernels of that story even here God giving breathing giving of himself and breathing life into creation that that he has formed right God giving last week it was the nouns right image and likeness man humanity was created in God's image and likeness this week those nouns are sharpened with the verbs he's forming them and breathing life into them it's Again, a beautiful sort of invitation to consider what, what kind of vehicle have you gotten into this week? And what is God inviting you into? To hear this story, God created, he formed, and he breathed. What, what does that do to you? What's it mean for me? What are the stakes of this story? I'm just going to make a couple of observations, and it may take too long to do so, so thank you in advance for your patience. Um, the, the first observation is this. I mean, what we see here, right, if I, it's, it's, it feels criminal to try to reduce a story like this to a single sort of sentence or idea, but I'm going to try. And it's this, that when God works, he forms and breathes and sustains life and not shame, all right? If we hear the story in its whole this morning, I'll say it again. When God works, he forms and breeds and sustains life and not shame. Let's consider it for a few moments. The word we might use is good, right? It was used over and over again last week. Good, 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 good. Very good, right? Like, uh, it's God at work. It's interesting, just some general sort of reflections in verse 4 where we started. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth. And, 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 and this phrase is repeated a few times in Genesis, kind of like a marker in the story. And what it says to me here, I, I don't know, it, it just speaks of longevity. There will be history here. There's not much yet, but, but th this is, will be an ongoing sort of journey that will take time, right? History will follow. There will be ripples and effects of this uh, creative moment. It's a marker in Genesis, and you bump into it at, at certain moments in the narrative. These are the generations. It's interesting to me, not just sort of history here, but home, the theme of, of home in this account of creation. And we make the story of creation about all sorts of really important things, and we made the observation last week, we, you know, we could spend like weeks on any sort of given thing in the creation story. We're just kind of holding it as a a hole here, but this imagery of like God putting humanity in, 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 a, in a home, a place. It, he says specifically, he puts him in the garden and then with a suitable partner, right? Like gives him, gives him a place and community like, uh, that, that is beautiful and, and good. Puts him in the garden. Throughout scripture, the garden will, whew, as you keep reading the story, it'll, 
It'll play prominently on the pages of this particular story. In this instance, it's a context for life and right relationship. Right? God, God places humanity in this garden and gives Adam like a right relationship to the creation around him. He's going to tend and care for the garden. And then he's going to name. God's going to bring the creatures and, and he's going to name them. Right? He's given this sort of commission uh, to, to, to name uh, the creatures of this creation. It's, a, it's a, just a beautiful scene of purpose and, and care. Interestingly, though, he comes to the end of that process, and, 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 and the feeling is that something is lacking in the story, that he needs a kind of companionship that he has not found in all of these places. What it suggests, some have said, is that in this moment, we, we get a glimpse that, 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 that we were created not, not for power, but, but for fellowship. In this moment, as Adam sort of exercises his dominion over creation and naming and God-given sort of commission, yet in the midst of that, he's not properly alive until there is someone uh, he can give himself to, someone uh, like him whom he can love, until he can give himself away to another. And we'll see that in, in just a moment. Right relationship with creation as he works. Right relationship with, with God, his creator, right? This is where we get the bit about the trees. He plants the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And I don't know, you read something like that and you're like, what is going on? And we're like, can you find the tree? Where is the garden? What's the boundary of this particular garden? We can sort of chase down all these questions and they are not without merit. But it's interesting to me that the, really the, in, in, the, in the whole of the story, what's what's what are we being told about the vehicle into which we uh, are, uh, to overly press the metaphor, into, into the van into which we are trying to climb? What's interesting that in this moment, what, what, what appears to be happening is the question is being raised, will these image bearers of God, will they continue to trust him for what is good? Right? Will, will they surrender their hearts as we've sung and continue to trust him to define and create what is good? Or will they sort of feel the need to kind of take that move into their own hands? The, the, the former, to trust God is, is life because God is life, right? To, to just sort of uh, from the heart trust that he is good and he, he, he uh, can set sort of the parameters of what is good is, 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 to, is to be close to life because God is life. He has created, but, but to sort of distance ourselves from that and to take those matters into our own hands is, is a move towards death because it's a movement away from the giver and sustainer of life. So right here, right here in this moment, in the context of this garden, we're invited into a right relationship, not only with creation around us, but with the God who created us, and then with each other, right? The, the whole beautiful description after the animals, and, and then he, he, he takes Adam and creates uh, Eve, this beautiful uh, moment, uh, again, where, where the, the emphasis appears to be on the, on the kind of like, uh, relationship that uh, there is giving and receiving and there is wholeness and, 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 and fellowship here. I think, again, I, we come into this story and, and we need it to answer all kinds of questions for us, biblical and theological and cultural, all kinds of things. And that's not to say these things are important, but to, 
aren't important. To hear it, I, I want to invite us to hear it this morning. The, uh, the, the distinction that seems to be being made as we've heard the story read this morning is not as much about um, man and woman and the differences there. It's, it's more about the difference between man and woman and the rest of creation. That, that the fellowship God had intended for humanity can't be found outside of a relationship with him, can't be found in kind of all these other spaces. There is something unique about the way in which man and woman will give themselves to one another, will love and serve and surrender to one another in a way that will uh, um, uh, display right, the, the image and, and likeness of God in the world. It's, it's a really sort of, again, I know, there are like whole seminary classes on like one or two verses of this passage. So again, I'm just confessing up front. We're not saying everything there is to be said here, but to hear it like this in its wholeness is to remember that when God works, he, he, he forms and breathes and sustains life. And that when we start in, in that story, we find uh, we, we're a part of a story. Uh, we find a home in relation to creation and, and our creator and, and man and woman, the people around us. Uh, we, 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 we find wholeness, goodness here. And, and it ends in this beautiful climax, right? This kind of life, he says, that, that, that they, were, they were naked and, and they were not ashamed. They were not ashamed. Man, I I just I just want that to like. I've been reading uh, I've been reading some detective novels. Yeah, any detective novel fans out here? You're like, uh, yeah. So uh, I read a lot of Sherlock as a kid. I've recently discovered Dorothy Sayers and Lord Peter Whimsy. I don't know. That's what he sounds like in my head, right? He wears like a monocle. You know, he's like a hobbyist detective, crime solving guy. It's great fun. I don't remember Sherlock as well. This feels funnier. I laugh out loud, uh, out loud a lot. Anyway, it's way too much detail. But the last one I read was set in some rural English or Scottish town, and it was all, the whole story was around uh, bell ringers, right? The culture of, I think they call it change ringing. It was, it was really fun. I'm geeking out. Lots of detail. I had to Google, like, you know, loads because it felt like a foreign language. I'm like, what is she talking about? This is a Bob Kent treble. And what, I don't know what that is any more than you do. Maybe you do. I don't know. Anyway. Anyway, uh, so this was called The Nine Tailors, and uh, I, I did Google this bit, right? There's, there's like, there was, in common practice in bell ring, I just thought it was like random, like, noise making, but no, it's a choreographed, like, uh, notes are struck in a particular order, there'd be like nine people around, ringing bells, and, and it was, anyway, crazy, but, but, uh, they used to ring them, The Nine Tailors, they used to ring them. Uh, as an announcement to the town if there was a, a death in the village. And so it would come typically in sets of three. Uh, and, and then de depending on how many they, they, they rung, the three sets, maybe if there was nine or you know, six or three, would tell you if it was a man or a woman or a child. And then there would be like one ring for every year they were alive. And so, you know, this was before cell phones and Instagram and whatever, you know, you like who in the village had passed away. Like, they, you know, you knew if something had happened, like that, that was one way in which you heard the news, and you guys are thinking, what on earth does this have to do with creation, <laughs> right? Like, where is he going with this? Well, uh, I, I, hear, I hear it, just hear it like a bell ringing, right? And they were not ashamed. Hear it. And they were not ashamed. It's like a bell 
I want to think it's good news, but it feels kind of ominous in the passage. Right? They, this is the moment in the story. Like, oh, this is beautiful. There was no shame. Do, do you hear the, the, the relief of that announcement? There was no shame. But at the same time, I, that ringing bell feels ominous to me. Why? Because the implication... Right? Here's the implication. When God works, there's life and not shame. But, but when we work apart from him, well, the outcome is something significantly different. With him, there is life and no shame. Uh, apart from him, wrapped up in this phrase, and they were not ashamed. Apart from him, the suggestion seems to be there's death. Shame. Shame. I read this story, and I'll tell you where my mind goes. My mind goes to ABBA, the Swedish supergroup from the 70s, not ABBA father of the Lord's Prayer and whatnot, uh, just to clarify. You guys know what I'm talking about? ABBA, right? You guys know the song? Knowing me, knowing you, knowing me, knowing you. Aha, right? No one? You guys are looking at me like, what is this guy doing? The opening line of that song, no more carefree laughter. Right? Knowing me, knowing you. Aha. Uh-huh. No? Oh, okay. There's nothing, there's nothing we can do. No. Knowing me, knowing you. We just have to face it. This time we're, we're through. Anyone? You guys know the song at least? You're like, no, not by your retelling, Matt. Should have practiced that bit a little more. Hopefully I haven't ruined scripture for you. Or Abba, or both. I don't know. But uh, I, I hear... I hear that song in this reading, knowing me, uh, knowing me, knowing you. I feel like it's, it's a move that's hinted at, like, like bells ringing, they were not ashamed. It'll play out on the pages of uh, scripture over and over again. The story of shame that is hinted at here. The turn in this moment. There was a time when there was no shame. But now, knowing me, knowing you, we know, we know what the rest of this story feels like. We, we could pick up any number of examples. And we'll look at some in the first few weeks, uh, in the next few weeks as we walk through the beginning of Genesis. This sort of beginning, uh, the, 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 the first unraveling of a world with no shame. But, but I went a couple of different places. I was reminded recently uh, of Jesus. Fancy that, right? Right? You, you know the stories. We could, again, we could go to any number. But you remember, you remember when he's at the well, like drawing water? And, or he goes, there's a, there's a woman there, a Samaritan woman drawing, drawing water. Jesus shows up. She's like, and he starts talking to her. She's like, I mean, there's shame all over. It's just like splattered all over the pages. Why are you talking to me? I'm a Samaritan. You're a Jew. Jesus keeps going. She's like, well, and and, and he recalls her history. It's just a string of like, uh, she's been victimized. She's got broken relationships. It's all of this sort of history that has left her isolated and alone. Like, it's better away from everyone here by myself at the well. And Jesus is just like, all in that space. Shame in that moment from her history. Or or, or you guys know Nicodemus? Uh, Again, we're in the Gospels. Nicodemus is religious. Right, he's sort of got all the like, he ticks all the boxes. But when he goes to Jesus, when does he go to him? At night, under the cover of darkness. 
the shame all over, for whatever reason, his story. What will people think? What will it mean? I think there might be something here, but I got all this pedigree, and I don't, I don't know. What about the woman with the issue of blood? Had been sick for years, isolated and alone because of her illness, right? Not because of anything she had done, now a life full of shame that has left her separated from all uh, the community around her. She, she's so desperate, she's going to quietly like arm her way through the crowd just to maybe get close enough. Shame has so pushed her out of the world. Zacchaeus, you guys remember him? Disreputable character, fleecing the people who should be serving, lining his pockets is the feeling you get. Alone as well, up a tree, right? And Jesus walks into all of those places. Or what about Peter? Right, Peter is, I mean, he's the disciple, right? He's on the 18, right? He's, he's the guy. He's associated with the phrase, on this rock. Like, he makes that confession. My church will be built. That's Peter. And you know the story, right? Jesus is like, buddy, I know you think you got it together, but it's going to unravel for you too. <laughs> and he denies him. And, and, and the Gospels recount a, 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 a painfully moving picture of Peter and Jesus making eye contact from a distance. And all Peter feels in that moment is shame. I thought I was better than this. And he retreats alone because of the effects of shame that we bump into in this reading in Genesis. He runs back to what he knows. That's all I know to do. And he goes fishing. Knowing me, knowing you. Our typical response to that is, I best hide. Right? Knowing me and knowing you or you, I best sort of put up some walls, pull back a little bit, preserve what I can. I think we hide for all kinds of reasons. We come to church, I can see you. I'm not like behind the fiddle leaf fig tree, literally hiding from you. Metaphorically, there's probably a little bit of that going on. We hide for all kinds of reasons, mistakes from our past that we carry, unmet expectations that are markers of, of a good life, and, and it's not how we thought it would go, and, 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 and things start to unravel, and now there's a bit of shame attached to this space in our life, and we, we cover it up. We, 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 we hide because of scars, the scars of being sinned against, nothing that we could control, and yet we carry the effects of sin in our lives, and a result of that is shame, and we, we retreat, or maybe scars we've inflicted. We're full of shame over the damage that we know we have done. Knowing me, knowing you, I best hide. In the middle of all that, we read the gospel given to us in Genesis. They were not ashamed. There was no shame. What God, what on earth would that feel like? What would it feel like? We don't know. I think we get snippets of it, but we don't know. Yet into the midst of all of that, right, we say, knowing you, knowing me, I better, like, God says in Christ, knowing you, knowing me, peace be with you. And he breathed on them the Holy Spirit. 
God in the gospel says, knowing me and knowing you, peace be with you. He breathed, he breathed on them. Have we seen that imagery before? Right, where, where we, just, we just read it at the beginning, right? God breathing life. Knowing me, knowing you, Jesus says, to all of those people he meets and to you, peace be with you. He breathes the life of his Holy Spirit into all the broken and shameful places of your life. We'll see the first move, the first announcement of this move next week, Genesis 3, way back at the beginning, right? But we hear, we hear echoes of it in this announcement. They were not ashamed. I've read uh, some things recently describing sort of uh, the cross, which we'll celebrate in communion in a moment. A weird thing to celebrate, but this morning I would suggest to you we celebrate it because on our behalf someone else knew nakedness and shame. And he said, I'll take all of that from you on myself. And he'll come through that experience. And out of that and the resurrection, he'll breathe life into all of those shamefully broken, scarred places of your life and mine. And he'll, he'll recreate. He'll, he'll, he'll breathe new. Bonhoeffer described that moment like this, that in the cross, God let himself be pushed out of the world in shame onto the cross. We, 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 you know, we, we, you know, thank you, Mel Gibson, but we like the cross, we really love the, or like to talk a lot about the physical elements and they were certainly a part of it. But interestingly, the gospel writers, that is not where they spend the bulk of like their description. It's the shame and degradation that, that it was meant to indicate to all who had watched. Not just the pain, but the degrading nature, shameful nature of what Jesus would go through being isolated taking on himself. The shame, the shamefulness introduced to us in Genesis chapter 2. I don't know where you are this morning in this story. I, maybe you got one foot in one van and one foot in another. Maybe you thought that the Christian story was one of the things we talked about at the beginning. I, I'm trying to tell you this morning, it's God has created you in his image. And he has breathed life, but you have no doubt felt the effects of shame and brokenness. That, that, that pull to, well, I, I, know what's, I, know, I know what's good. I know best what is good. And in this moment, Jesus invites you and me to trust him again and let him breathe life. I, uh, I should wrap up. I, I came back from Orlando this week. Did I mention I went to Orlando? Like palm trees and stuff and fresh seafood and no oh I went to Orlando uh well I came back so I was only gone like four days but you know my kids love me so they missed me I guess which they didn't talk to me one time while I was gone but uh I'm okay but I got home I, I have a picture here just just the just the the face uh so so when I when I got home they had drawn a portrait of me right and they had each drawn a half without talking to the other person then they wanted to put them together Right? So they didn't see what the other one drew. They just wanted to put them together. And this is what they got. And I'm not, I mean, I am shame, shamelessly, right? 
uh, asking you to admire whatever artistic ability may reside within my children, but I can't really take credit for that. So this was really sweet. I was like, oh, that's really fun. Maybe they did miss me. But what I want to share with you is where they put it, all right? So this is, this is where they put it. I have another picture here. It's across the doorway, right? So, so I walk in. I get in. It was like midnight, and uh, had really tired. It had been a hard week in Orlando. And uh, I, I walk in, and, you know, the thing is there. And I'm like, this is my kid's work. I can't take it down, right? I can't just walk in and, like, take it down. So i got to leave it there. So for the next couple of days, it's like every time we go through, right? Every time it's down. I hit my head on the door frame one time, and I still love my children, but it annoyed me. And, uh, you know, every time. I, 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 think, uh, I think Genesis 2 in this moment. It does something similar to you and me. It gives us a picture of our lives that a lot of times we don't want to admit. A portrait of us that may not be perfect, but, right, this is, there was a time when there was no shame. That time is not now. Uh, but that's not all there is to this picture. But it, but it throws it up in front of us in a way that we can't really, we try to duck it. Man, we try hard, right? I'm going to go around. I'll take it down. We, we, we work real hard to kind of get around this picture, but... Genesis 2 says, this is the truth of the matter. There was a time when there was no shame, but that's probably not a time you know yet. So then the question is, what happens there? What what meets us at that moment, that realization? Well, I would suggest to you that it's the same thing that met those first people, Adam and Eve. God in his goodness shows up. He forms and breathes and sustains life and not shame. Breathes new life into those created in his image. Will you stand with me? Thank you for listening to the Park City Church Podcast. To learn more about our church and or to find ways to get involved in our community, visit us at parkcitykc.com or follow us on social media at parkcitykc.com.